You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. This is episode number 260. We're discussing our prelude to the season finale of WandaVision, Spider-Man 3, title reveal, and the cinematic reboot of Superman. I'm your host, Tim. And I'm Carlos. And it's just the Falcon and his man, Captain America, for tonight. The boys are taking a little bit of a break, and you've got the dynamic deal of Tim and Carlos taking you through another week in Star Wars, Marvel, DC, and beyond. Carlos, my dude, how is it going? It's going good, man. Happy to kick it with you uh, in an almost retro capacity. I think yeah. one of my first regular shows was just you and I. And uh, yeah, man, Captain America and the Falcon. I guess uh, that means I get to wear those sweet 70s plunging V-necks and sleeveless costumes. And off we go, dude. Yeah, man, it's going to be a good one. We've got some serious discussions to have around WandaVision. We had episode eight, the penultimate episode to this season of WandaVision. And some pretty crazy revelations inside of that episode. So we're going to break that down in some detail and also look at what we're going to get in episode nine. We've got a very exciting episode in front of us, but even more so, we've got an exciting live stream this Friday. The V39 Boys, Vigilante 1939 podcast are joining us to bring this full circle. And we're going to break down that episode day and date drop. So look out for that, guys. We're going to break it down here. And we're going to finish it up over there, just like we kick things off with them at the start of WandaVision. We're also going to discuss Spider-Man 3. We had a few red herring titles thrown at us last week. And we finally got the title for the third installment and potentially the final installment of Spider-Man in the MCU for now. And so we're going to talk about what that title and the implications for it are for the MCU. And Superman, we've got a lot of focus around Superman this week. We're not only talking about a cinematic reboot of the character, but we're also going to talk about Superman and Lois, a brand new show that debuted. Carlos and I both loved this iteration that they put to screen. So we're going to talk about the big season premiere of Superman and Lois as well. So big week for Superman, big week for the MCU, and a big week for us, Carlos. We got we got to get into some serious nerd talk, and we got to kick this thing off like we always do with our weeks in nerd. So my man, what did the goddamn Batman get up to in nerd this week? Man, it was a quiet week until I had to go do my groceries, <laughs> and then it's been so dry everywhere. Oh, terrible! Everywhere you go. My wife had to go out and she dipped into a Toys R Us that's usually stacked in the city. And she sent me a picture of like the opening foyer where they have all the new toys and the seasonal gear and everything else. No word of a lie. It was completely empty. All the shelves were empty. They had one little display with some Easter stuff in the middle. But like a spot where you'd probably have 300 action figures, zero. That's yeah. how dry it's been in the city. It's nuts. I very rarely dip into toy stores now I, i'm still a bit cautious with everything but i did go into a toys r us this past week and i went down the aisles that usually have star wars marvel even wrestling figures and all like there is nothing on the pegs no nothing so i wasn't expecting anything and i uh just out of habit you gotta you're you're picking up your milk and your eggs you gotta <laughs> check the action figure section <laughs> and be still my heart in front of me was the McFarlane Damian Wayne Robin Ooh. 
and the drown from the dark knights metal series so i was absolutely stoked to get those um the drowned is the last one i needed to finish off my set so i got my sweet little display with all the dark knights metal and the multiple jokerized robins and whatnot in there and uh yeah i don't know why but i just love those figures i love those figures love those characters and uh it's just fun so if you want to take a look at her there's a bunch of pictures in the nerd room instagram that you can check out as i played and posed her up and Got her rocking the trident, and then, yeah, Damien, I think it's going to be a rough week at work, so he's just sitting there kind of in my workspace upstairs, yes. and uh, <laughs> when uh, when you see those unboxing pictures on the Instagram page, you know that uh, I had a bit of stress, and <laughs> I needed to have some plastic de-stressing. It's hilarious to do that, because I do the exact same thing. Like, I work in the same room I podcast in, but I keep figures for those down moments, those moments where I'm really frustrated. And it's like, okay, I need to release some of that real-life anxiety with the uh, the cure for my plastic anxiety sitting beside me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was cool, man. I was, uh, It was just such a treat to find figures awesome. in the wild because they're so rare right now. There's no plastic flowing from anywhere. No, it's tough, man. It's, it's not an easy game right now. Everywhere, even Kijiji for me has been barren, mm-hmm. like very, very much so. It, it's not... It's not a great time for in-store physical collecting. It's a lot of online and just waiting out the mail service. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. There's not a lot out there, and there's a ton of people that are dipping into the hobby. So I can't wait till everybody goes back to work and starts (laughs) vacationing again so I can have my uh, happy place back. Yeah, everyone's taking that vacation money and spending on action figures now. (laughs) I know. How about you, man? What uh, was happening in your weekend, Nerd? Oh, it was... was it's very similar. I, I dipped into a few places, didn't find much. Online has been even even like the stores, pathetically dry. Nothing really going up. We're getting trickling out of some things. We got you know, some new information about this new two-pack Marvel Legends Black Widow with a repack or an update, I should say, of the Red Guardian and Rachel Weisz's character from Black Widow. So it's exciting to see that. We got a little insight into a character we're going to talk about in a little bit a vision figure that's going to be hitting the pegs at some point. So there's some hope there. I'm going to finally get some MCU legends, but I have not found a single thing out there, but I was saved by NECA this week. The, uh, I got a little knock on the door. I've been tracking this package for weeks, for weeks. And I ran upstairs all giddy and my wife's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. You know what just arrived? My super shredder from NECA, my movie super shredder. Just showing it to Carlos here. Such a good figure, man. I ordered this maybe like four months ago, and it was, you know, NECA's been very conscious of the issues with distribution and mailing and the hold up a lot of things. And so they send weekly emails saying, look, it's coming. I was part of, I think, the third wave of Super Shredder releases because I missed out on the first one. And then because there's so much need and want from the community, they re-released it on their website as more of an exclusive because they're meant to show up in Walmarts and everything up here in Canada shows up about six to eight months later. And so I just ordered directly through NECA. It finally came. I'm not complaining about the distribution of it and everything because it arrived at the perfect time for me. Like it's been, like you said, so dry out there and just getting this figure in hand. It's a nine inch figure. It is absolutely massive. The sculpting is on point. It's Super Shredder right off the screen from TMNT2, Secret of the Use. It's a, it's just a great figure. I was shocked. The same way with the Token Razor on the size, detail, 
and what it actually came with. Now, this figure itself doesn't come with a ton of accessories, but you look at the shoulder pads, the gauntlets, the feet, everything about it is next level. It's, it's so cool to have a figure like this, nine inch figure in scale with my other turtles from the NECA line. Like I had the Super Shredder as a kid, and did I think as like a, a mid thirties man that I'd be recollecting all this stuff? No, but I freaking love it. Like this Ninja <laughs> Turtle stuff brings me so much joy because it's done so well. Yeah, so man. well. Like just stuff like the shiny cape on that figure, and mm-hmm. when you posed him next to Donnie there, and like the turtle only comes up to his sternum, if yeah. that. It's crazy. Yeah, they could have. There's ways to to cheap out on this and to shortcut on these type of figures, and yeah, they're not the cheapest figures in the world. But you get what you pay for, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Like, I believe this is probably closer to, like, a 50 Canadian dollar figure, which, like, it isn't cheap. But it's not so far off some of those deluxe Black Series figures that we are talking about last week. And yeah, this figure itself bucks. is, a, yeah, a whole hell of a lot more plastic. And it kind of commemorates something for me, too. Like, as a kid, TMNT 2, it was a big movie for me when I was growing up. And to really hit that nostalgia and deliver a good figure at the same time, is it's great. So Neck is killing it. Just killing it. Like we said last week. Oh man. Like, yeah, if they they just don't have all the licenses, but if that company makes a figure of something you like, you best go buy it because mm-hmm. they are stellar. Like one of my prides and joys. I'm actually looking at them right now, but I snagged all thanks to the heads up from our boy DG, Darth Goody there, the DC versus Predator and Alien figures that they did. Mm-hmm. And I've got a ton of Batman figures, but like those are some of the best ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, sure. I've got shelves of Legends and Black Series and all this. These ones are prime real estate for me, these mm-hmm. turtle figures, because they're just so good. They display so well. And they're, like we said last week, NECA is just a, a company for me that it does a lot for the collector. And for them to be conscious enough to say, look, we know things are delayed. We are sorry that it's coming. Just, just be patient. And the nice thing about all these, too, is I ordered these six months ago or whatever it was, paid for them six months ago. So these are like free figures when they show up on my doorstep. I don't get an extra charge on my credit card because it showed up on my doorstep. That happened and that's been paid for. So yeah. it's great. <laughs> exactly. Return on investment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So the only other thing that I did this week is I've been eyeing up VHSs. And so okay. maybe taking a dip into sunny space a little bit. But I find the VHS to be a really nice, and I talk about this with Funko Pops, accent piece to a collection. And so I've been eyeing up on Facebook Marketplace and Kijiji and that people's VHS collections. I've been just trying to get like Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, and a few others. And I found a mint Jurassic Park from 1993-94 and a mint Back to the Future. This was, I think, likely in the 89 space when it was released. Back to the Future 1. And I snagged them. They're three bucks a pop. And I've got them nicely set up with my Back to the Future and my Jurassic Park collections. They bring just a nice nether piece of nostalgia to to the film experience. Like, that's how I watched all of these movies was on VHS. My parents, my dad, I sent the picture to my dad, and he's like, oh, we still have all your old ones, too. So it, it was kind of a cool way to, because it's been so dry, to expand and accent the collections that are ever growing here in the nerd room beyond stars of marvel with back to the future and jp taking a major prevalent space in my nerdery right now so it, oh, it's, it's cool. kind of a cool little way if you're yeah. looking to get little accent pieces for your collection well and yeah then the vhs it's like a nice beefy thing yeah. right like it's 
backdrop for a figure or something of that exactly. nature. And yeah, well, and it's nice that you got a mint JP. I'm sure you could have had like our old JP, but it would have my parents' address and stuff on it. Yeah, <laughs> and this probably this... in Sanjay's basement somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, even the one my dad sent me, the corners are all beat up because I had that in and out of that slipcover a million mm-hmm. times when I was a kid. And none of none of those. I have the turtles ones at home too that I'll probably bring back when I go see my parents this year but they're not in good condition. I have all my original Star Wars ones too. The the gold case from the special edition release, the purple, blue, and pink ones from the 95 release. So it, it's it's cool. I like stuff like that. And nostalgia and retro has been, you know, a huge focus of mine. And it just fits, just fits for me. <laughs> Excellent. That's awesome, man. That's yeah. awesome. So let, let's hear about DC Future State. You know, you've chronicled this for the last eight weeks or so we've come to conclusion of the eight week run the big pause on dc current comics to make space for this extended event inside of dc you and troy have been gushing over these comics even to the point where i purchased my yara i didn't get to reading them but i bought them I have <laughs> well them that's, that's the first step man it's a big <laughs> first step so they're they're here and I, I did read Ronin too, the last Ronin. I read it, I bought them, read it, but I'll wait for Troy to walk through that next week. But you, you got to tell me, man, how did this thing finish? You, it was really strong, a few bumps, but nothing, nothing critical, especially in the main books. But how does DC Future State end up? And kind of give me a wrap-up statement about its success and what you want next for this line. Yeah, so I'll just go through this last week's books. And, um, you know, we've had some good feedback from listeners that have appreciated what we've been putting forth. So I'm glad that it's time well spent and you guys aren't hitting that little fast forward 15 seconds button when the future state talk comes up. But uh, I know Kyle was a bit... uh worried about his wallet after all the recommendations for the last couple of weeks from you guys <laughs> yeah but this was another good week man like suicide squad a book i wasn't expecting much from but it did some really cool stuff with amanda waller and took that character to the next level and carved out a space for connor kent that the regular books never would have but man was it ever special and made him a superman in his own right and it was cool it had a really cool black adam backup story and if you were like a 90s turn of the century type comic collector and you were into those dc 1 million books it's got some deep cuts for you there um gave me flashbacks to a whole bunch of stuff that i was way too young to read and didn't understand at all with <laughs> tesseracts and hyper time and but that's a story for another day aquaman banger of an ending like they did some really really endearing stuff with um positioning Jackson as the new Aquaman and then Aquaman and Mera's daughter as his his sister, basically. And it took this kind of family sentiment to another level. Art was beautiful. And then Dark Detective and Red Hood, just they capped their stories wonderfully. But man, does it ever leave you wanting more? And I really hope that we get more of it. Like, I'm almost more interested in what happens with Dark Detective Bruce Wayne than I am with Bruce <laughs> Wayne in the contemporary books right now. And then, uh, yeah, honorable mentions, Legion of Superheroes. Like, anybody that listens to us knows I'm not a fan of those characters, but even with some rough art, they did some pretty interesting things with the characters, and I think if you're a big Legion of Superheroes fan, you'll find it fascinating where they take 
a few of those kind of tentpole characters from that group. And then the House of L. It was it was interesting to see what the followed from Worlds of War is in Superman and some of the stuff that even Bendis was doing. And your love of that book will be dependent on how much you like the Legion of Superheroes. But if you like the Bendis stuff now, to see where it would have gone in 10, 15, 50, 100 years, it's a cool book. And, like, I had none that I thought were terrible. But, uh, yeah, as far as a statement for what Future State was or what it accomplished, I think it was a great experiment for DC. Like, they ended up getting a bunch of interesting characters out of it that are going to have their own books. I think they've opened the doors to tell some different type of stories. Like I kind of mentioned a few weeks ago, like Tim Drake, Robin, what they did with the character in that book is way better than anything they could do for him in the contemporary DCU. So maybe you just deal with him in the future state and that's where he's at. And I think there's a few characters that could kind of just occupy a space in those future state books. And they made a star to Jace Fox. I think they made a star to Yara Fleur. So they've got some cool new characters out of it. I think they've started to cultivate some good young talent. And, you know, if they kind of have one or two Future State books, something that's a monthly, that's a bit of an anthology for seven or eight bucks, why not? Like, I think it was uh, an exercise worth doing. Yeah. It's it's come off to me even more so than an experiment as a a way to introduce and maybe even a blueprint for their future of mm-hmm. DC. The one thing that Marvel and DC have struggled with in the past is introducing new characters into the space of existing characters, like your Batman, Superman's, Captain America's, Iron Man, these type of characters that have quite a storied history but also have a fan base that is adamantly opposed to tweaking or changing these mm-hmm. characters. And I think to me, the biggest thing is the success, at least from what I'm hearing is the, is the success of these new characters, like you're saying that have become stars in a short period of time, two months. So the thing that, that, that sticks out also to me is this break they took forced people in a way to either say, I'm not doing it, or I'm going to give this an opportunity to give this a chance. They didn't have the alternate books to continue to read through Batman or Superman. There wasn't a distraction elsewhere. This was either you focus on this or you take your two-month break and come back. And I I like that approach. It wasn't something that was meant to be in parallel or competing with itself. It found its own space and its own time to do this. They took a breather everywhere else, which has got to be relatively unprecedented, I would think, with the exception of like a complete reboot like they did with new 52 taking a break from your contemporary lines and your mainstays and just saying we're gonna do this like that's a huge commitment to those characters yeah and it gives your new creative team some room and Mm -hmm. like you hit the nail on the head people are always so opposed to change whereas with this by virtue of the time jump it forced some of these Mm -hmm. characters to be in a new space and then it forced the readers to actually give them a chance and take off some of those uh, rigid fences that they have on these properties and be like, hey, you know what? This is actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And I can see where a character like this would be interesting. And it's, yeah, it might not be my Batman, but it's a Batman of equal merit that might have more interesting stories to tell because we don't have 80 years with this character. Yeah. We only have eight weeks with him. So, yeah, I 
I'm I gotta applaud DC and the other thing that it did too is it gave them a bit of a trial run for their new streamlined lineup of books so that'll be good and make them a little more efficient as a publisher and I gotta be honest I'm gonna miss Future State mm-hmm. I really enjoyed my time with these characters and um, the world that they inhabited. The only thing I won't miss about Future State is buying all these darn books because <laughs> that was a heavy touch week after week that I took for you, dear listeners. So um, I, I'm glad I enjoyed like 85, 90% of the books. Yeah, that's But uh, I'm I'm not going to miss those hefty price tags as I'm walking out of the store. No, and it's very rare too that you're, you're basically for the last eight weeks been reading every book that DC has been publishing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like they've published very few um, uh, parallel books Mm. to give Future State the focus. But the parallel ones that they did publish were like Batman ones that I was down for anyway. So it's like (laughs) you have all these Future State books and then there's this $9 Batman black and white anthology book that you have. It's like, oh, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd say from my perspective, listening to you guys talk about this, and your comments there that this is a resounding success for for DC in their comic world. And I think, based off the reception that I'm hearing, not only from you guys, but from other people in fandom, that we're likely to see more of this down the road, more of these stories being told. They'd be foolish, I would think, to remove these characters in a more permanent way. Let's see. Do they integrate them more so into the main timeline, or do they just continue with the universe that exists in the future it's gonna be interesting to see what they do here well and out of death metal they kind of created a a neat catch-all for that kind of storytelling where it's like we have an omniverse Mm -hmm. where everything is happening all the time and yeah sure there's a main line but if we want to tell a story just over here we can and it's up to you to reconcile whether that's your contemporary story or that's in the omniverse on a earth that's just parallel and then in the Generations Forged book that they just put out, they actually introduced a, a curious new concept, but I kind of like it because it's a bit of a wink to the people that are hardcore, rigid continuity honks in that they create, they established a linear verse where they're like, sure, you want the 1939 Batman to be the same guy who's running around in 2021? Yep. There's a linear verse and you just age way slower than everyone else. And you've gone through this 80 years, but you're still kind of in your thirties or whatever it is. I was hoping you're going to say that they made him like a hundred year old Batman. (laughs) Yeah. Like he kind of is to everybody else, but they, (laughs) there's just this like kind of throw away few pages where they're like for, for that guy who's out there and you know that he's out there. It's like, yeah, you, you have the linear verse where <laughs> That's cool. everything can just fit in this straight line. <laughs> That's a lot of history to fit into a straight line. <laughs> yeah. And, but that they made it its own little, it's like, but it's no better or worse than any of the other <laughs> pieces of the multiverse. It's like, it's a linear verse, but it's equal to everything else out there. That's hilarious. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, let's talk about another piece of the multiverse in DC film and TV. Let's talk about Superman and Lois. So this is a show yes. that debuted last week during our record, hour and a half debut for the Superman that was pulled out of, not pulled out of, but is a part of the former Arrowverse. I'm not sure what it's called now that Arrow's done, but that universe had 
a Superman, and now they have a Superman in a Lois show that is picking up that Superman and running with it. The thing with me on this in particular, I'm not connected in any way to the Arrowverse. I haven't watched really any of those shows, but given the hype around the trailers, and we spoke about this and broke this down over the last couple of weeks, I was quite intrigued by this and, and really around the story of the humanization of Superman. And I have to say, my wife and I sat down and watched this on Saturday night, and she's not a huge comic book film watcher. She'll watch the Marvel stuff with me and all that, but she was pissed that this was an episodic release. She's, <laughs> she wanted more. She's like, is this one of those shows that comes out every week? And I was like, like all TV? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she was upset. She found herself, and her and I had a, a really interesting discussion because I, I want your opinion, I said to her. I, I want your perspective on this. Because you're coming at this completely blind. Like, no trailers, no hype. She knows Superman because he's Superman. And to be honest, she liked the same parts I did. And that was where the heart of the show was. And that's when he had his cape off. Mm -hmm. It was about the family dynamic and what they were doing there. And that was a piece I was excited most for. His interaction with his sons. A, a story with teenage sons. Dealing with anxiety. Dealing with power sets. And dealing with his wife and all this like real life things that Superman was doing with, with the Cape taking the back seat. Yes, there was a Superman story in there and I hope it's a slow burn Superman story, but I want more of Clark Kent like that. He, mm -hmm. him, him as Clark Kent was a revelation for me. It was fantastic. I had an absolute blast with his family, even walking through some of the, the very, you know, CW tropes of family life right now. Right. I, I just found myself really enjoying that piece of it. And every time he threw on the cape, I was like, yeah, it's cool, but let's go back to Clark Kent. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if that's something that's going to stick with me through this whole run or if I'm going to get tired of that. But I'd say for a pilot episode, introducing a Superman, or maybe it's better put as Clark Kent and Lois with Superman kicking around in the background. I think this is, for me at least, it's it hooked me. I really enjoyed the pilot here, and I want more of it. Carlos, you, you were pumped when the trailers were coming out, and we've had some discussions here, but why, why don't you talk to me a bit about your experiences around Superman and Lois and how you felt the pilot episode came off for you? Yeah, man. Like, honestly, the most important reviews for me was, yeah, the one from from you and your wife, and, like, particularly your wife. Like, I value your opinion, but her, like you said, somebody who's coming into this blind with no notions as to what she's going to experience and when she loves it that much that tells me that it's a a very high quality well-written show mm -hmm. uh and then our buddy justin at the let's go comic show uh he was talking about the reaction of his son and his son turned to him his 11 year old and was like dad this is really cool this is something that we can watch every week like wandavision and that's nice. the goal was to get those types of audiences interested in this character but man, like I am with you. The Superman stuff, it has done phenomenally well. Like mm -hmm. my understanding is there's some HBO uh, influence and money in this project, and you can see it on display. Like you get to see Superman in the middle of the day. You get to see him doing very Superman things. The opening scene is a nice showcase of a good smattering of his powers, and you get to see Superman dusting it up. But at the same time, the family stuff was the most compelling stuff mm -hmm. in the show. Like despite cool scenes of him stopping a nuclear meltdown and ha having a fight in space, 
my favorite scene of that whole show was and mild spoilers here, but it's kind of close to the beginning is he gets a phone call about um, Martha Kent being sick and he takes off at super speed from the daily planet, leaving Lois from a conversation that they were having. And you see him just on the horizon flying in as Superman and just mm-hmm. the silhouette of him dropping and he changes into Clark Kent and goes running into the farmhouse. And the show is so well written and there's so much heart and humanity to it. Like, man, I found myself getting emotional, like, and not just from the nostalgia feelings of this character that I love, but from, they do such a good job establishing Superman's relationship with his mother and what she means to him and yeah. the role that she plays for him that when she gets sick you really feel it and you feel for this superman and to see him struggling as a dad that was great and yeah and it's just like holy weakness like you talk about superman being unrelatable no not at all like when his kids are confronting him and the whole show or at least the hook of the show is he makes a decision about telling Mm-hmm. his son's his secret identity and whether he should or not and Lois and Clark might not be on the same page with this and there's they talk about the factors and the people that they talk to in informing this decision and it's like this is just like any other family yep with any other big decision and man it was cool and just how without forcing it to be contemporary and ham-fisted it's like there's all this underlying stuff. Like they go to Smallville and there's going to be a thread, I think, for a few episodes about predatory loan practices, which is something that's very real. Mm-hmm. And that'll probably be what sucks up a bunch of Lois's time. And then about teens wrestling with self-medicating and with mental health and social anxieties and that they leaned into that and they didn't sugarcoat anything was amazing. Like when you're watching the struggles with... Clark and his son Jordan and how they try and manage the two boys. I was like, man, we all know a family like that. Yeah. That has, yeah, like one kid that's kind of functioning, quote unquote, normally, and then another kid that's maybe struggling. And they didn't shy away from it, and there's no kind of super-y stuff to it. It was just very real. Yeah. They, yeah. they made Superman, Clark Kent, a fallible character, too. Like, he makes mm-hmm. mistakes. Yeah. Right. And I, I've gone on record here in the podcast in the past saying that I find Superman on film very difficult to relate to. And I find them very difficult to write. Like I don't write, but I would, I see what they put to screen as how do you ratchet him down to a point where he can exist in this world, in the world that we live in without just doing whatever he wants mm-hmm. and putting him in a situation where he has to deal with a family and deal with, real family issues like you said makes him a relatable character and so yeah. from right then the the capes and and cow type of thing it becomes the cherry on top of it all it becomes the moments in between the personalization of superman and i dig that i dig this approach that we're likely not to get a villain of the week we're likely not to get where he's out just doing whatever and it seems from the next preview for the next episode, there's going to be a lot of debate as to can he be a dad and Superman, mm-hmm. which I think is a really cool plot line to deal with and, and address. You know, can you be, and like people struggle with this, can you be a CEO of a huge company and a dad and do it well? 
And so it's going to be interesting to see him balancing that aspect of being the superhero that everyone's depending on. You know, can you be a bad dad, but you're also saving thousands of people every week? So like, that's a really cool dichotomy to play with. Yeah, the big realization for me was when, and like the visuals are, they're not that far off any other superhero movie. No. Like, they're great. And he's in a really cool space battle. And I found myself Mm -hmm. anxious and wanting to know what was happening with his sons at this party in a rock quarry. Yeah, same way, man. I was like, are you you listening? (laughs) Yeah, it's like, what, what, the the boys, what's happening with the boys? They're in some stuff. And I think that's when I realized that it was something special. And uh, I don't know if you watched kind of that half an hour special that they aired as well with like Jeff Johns and a few of the creatives talking. But uh, one of the executive producers, she said that their mindset was not to deconstruct or change Superman and Lois, but rather to have the conversation about how would Superman and Lois function in the realities of a 2021 world, which is a complex and difficult place for anybody to negotiate. And man, what, what an inspired approach. So, And it's so much so that they've already been confirmed for a second season Mm -hmm. announced today on, on their Twitter account, sky's the limit. Superman and Lois has been renewed for season two. To me, that's a vote of confidence for this property. Now, being in the Arrowverse, maybe you automatically get one, but I, to me, it's, it's the timing of the release of a announcement for a second season goes in parallel with the hype and the feedback that they got from this pilot episode. Yeah, and like, I definitely feel that there's a distinct cutting off between like the original Arrowverse. Mm-hmm. And what we're in now with shows like it probably started with Black Lightning and definitely with Stargirl. Yeah. And Superman and Lois is a, like this stuff is all being made now with the intent of it living on HBO Max. So yeah. there's going to be a, a bump in the quality. And, you know, I, I might have steered a few people wrong with things like like Batwoman maybe. But Dave Fonz, I'm talking to you, man. Like, give this one a shot. I might have mm. steered you wrong with a few other ones before, but uh, this is one for you and the misses. I nerd room guarantee you'll enjoy it. Look, if my wife can get on board with it from pilot and, and make the comment, the comment stuck out to me was when's the next one? Why isn't there more? Is this episodic? Like we're, we're kind of used to this binge thing. Not so much. Cause she gets the same way about WandaVision, but the, the same, she has the same remarks at the end of WandaVision. I want more. I want it now. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that was something that struck me. She she struggled a bit more with the superhero-y stuff. She struggles with Superman in general. But the, the majority of the show, like I said, because the heart is in is in the Clark Kent, the family thing. And I think that's where it's going to really excel. If they, as long as they keep with that. Yes, they're going to have to do the cape stuff. And we want that. Like, I want that. But mm-hmm. I want there to be a nice balance and a slow build and avoid bringing in random villains just to fill the superhero quota for the, for the week type thing. So longer storylines with longer villains and let's, let's, let's see more of this. I'm looking forward to it, man. It's airing, I think right now. So we'll have someone to plug into tomorrow, at least for, for us that uh, we'll be able to talk about next week. And I look forward to, to seeing more from this. Excellent. Yeah. And so continuing with the Superman thread, Superman's got a lot of FaceTime this week. We got word 
and some even more insight today through Deadline that Superman is looking at a cinematic reboot. You know, Cavill, there's some uncertainty around his presence and his return to the suit, to the cape, but it looks like WB in some capacity is moving forward with maybe even a multiverse style of Superman, and they've got two really great creatives at the helm, which has got me very excited. We got Tanahasi Coates and JJ Abrams producing. So Tanahasi Coates, he's an acclaimed writer. He's an all-time writer. This guy is absolutely fantastic. Not only is he been acclaimed inside of the literary space, commenting on African American culture and society in the world that we live in right now, but he's also written Black Panther, he's written Captain America, so he's contributed a lot to the comic book world and to the African-American community as well. But then you got J.J. Abrams as well on the other side of this thing. We know there's been rumblings for a long time that him and Bad Robo are going to be putting together a Superman project. And this looks like it's going to be it. Very, very exciting. And then subsequent news kind of leaned into the idea that they could be looking at a potential African-American Superman in the likes of maybe Calvin Ellis or something to that effect that could give this character a new story to tell and something we haven't seen in the past give them a clean slate, something fresh to tackle and chew into and provide a new line for for Superman. So, Carlos, what are your what are your thoughts on the creatives involved in this one way or another and then the potential for them bringing in a new character to fill in the red cape? Yeah, man, like there's no denying the track record of the two gentlemen involved like Tennessee Coates He's a, like you said, he's an all-time writer. And I'm excited to see his name attached to this type of project. And he's an extremely intelligent man. And if they are going with a black Superman, they know, or he knows, that he's got to knock it out of the park. Mm -hmm. So that bit of pressure given to a guy that talented, I think he could produce something special. And... There's no denying J.J. Abrams' track record with starting stuff. Like, yeah. he launched Star Wars into a whole new stratosphere of fandom and did the same thing with Star Trek. So I'm excited to see him launch some DC Universe projects, and it'll be awesome. Like, I'm curious to see if he directs or if he enlists somebody else. I'm kind of hoping that he does. Like, I, Maybe I think... the pilot or something like that? Or I guess it's a film, not a TV show. Or so yeah. many TV shows right now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's an inspired and pretty bold choice by WB, and you know it marks the steps towards a brave new world. And you know why not? Mm-hmm. We've like I'm an OG DC Comics fan, and I'm here for it. And part of that might be because I have this wonderful, perfect. Clark Kent Superman in Superman and Lois now. Yeah. <laughs> so if that's where I get the OG Superman and if I get a new version of Superman and a new vision that it could be just like future state where it's exactly. like, I didn't know I wanted this, but you served it up. I gave it a try. And now this is my favorite thing. And like my, my only wish is that they don't just race bend Clark Kent. And the reason for that is like, is Miles Morales and Kamala Khan mm-hmm. and Jamie Reyes. You always get a way better character out of a character that gets to make a mantle their own. Yes. Like he can be Superman in every way, shape and form, but let him be his own Superman with his own 
um, origins, his own struggles, his own victories. And like, if they go with Calvin Ellis, I would argue that he's a better Superman than Clark Kent is. And it's like kind of plays out when they do multiverse crossovers. And if they go with the Val Zod Superman, which I think is the one they should go with, you arguably get a more interesting story to tell over some movies than you would with the Clark Kent Superman. So, yeah, I think it's a win-win, regardless of which version of the character they go with. And I think it's a smart move at this point in time. Yeah. To be honest with you, when you look at what DC is doing in their film, film universe right now, it's this creativity over continuity. They're doing this in the books as well. This is their opportunity to put characters like this in front of us. And like you said, like DC Future State, it's let's try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You've got the Batman coming. You've got Joker, both standalone films. And let's do something a little different here. That's what excites me about this is we're not going to get another Clark answer. Yes, we have, I keep on saying <laughs> Lois and Clark, but it's not that, Superman and Lois. And we've got Cavill. It doesn't mean Cavill's out as Superman. It might mean that, but this to me, I'm ignoring the Cavill stuff right now and just saying, let's put a different character on screen. Let's not worry mm-hmm. about the continuity of the DC Extended Universe or whatever it's going to turn out to be down the road once they get the Flashpoint and all that. Let's worry about putting together some good, solid filmmaking, build a foundation around a film universe, and go from there. Try what you can right now while you have the opportunity. We have this, this unique space that we're in with superhero films is that at this point in time, we have more diversity and more unique characters being put to screen because there is the eyeballs for it. There is the love and passion around the superhero genre right now that you can try wild and crazy things that five years ago even you would never have expected to hit. Shang-Chi coming up, Eternals, Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, all these crazy things in Marvel that are happening right now. If you had to said that five years ago, you would have been like, well, I don't know if that's going to really happen. But now the floodgates are open. Anything goes. Blue Beetle is coming. Like, there's so much coming to us. And I think we take every opportunity, and these companies take every opportunity, to put these characters to screen. Give them some elevation. Give them some time to show that origin that you talked about, to show those struggles and to give communities something to get behind. Like, I love this idea of just running with characters right now. Totally, man. Well, and the big one for me is, like, I was in EB Games, like, a few months ago, and there was a kid that came in, and he wanted Spider-Man stuff, but he was super disappointed, and it's a, like, Caucasian kid, and he was disappointed because he couldn't find anything Miles Morales because he, like, and they had loads of Peter Parker gear, but he's just like, no, I want like a Miles Morales. Like, and they're like, do you want a figure? He's like, well, no, that's not Miles Morales. And do you want it? And I was like, that is the coolest thing mm-hmm. ever. The cool, like, I remember Dwayne McDuffie, they were interviewing him after Static Shock took off huge. And after they had re- kind of launched Milestone and whatnot, and they're like, yeah, you're a Comic Con and you got like people cosplaying Static. How does that make you feel? And he goes, it's awesome. But he goes, the greatest victory for me will be when I see a white kid cross. Uh, cosplaying the static and i was like yeah why not man like mm-hmm. why not let's uh let's get this train going and if you want old school superman got superman and lois it is yeah, wonderful it. and if you want to try something new bring it man calvin yeah. ellis val zod 
I'm here for it. Michael B. Jordan is is the guy that's rumored. You know, we there was rumors a, a few months ago that he was involved in some sort of DC potential Superman project. Mm-hmm. Put Michael B. in front of that. I'm I'm a huge fan of his and anything he does. I'm there for. So like that's a that's a hell of a creative team. And with Michael B. involved, bring it on. Yeah, man. I wouldn't even mind seeing them if one hits. Like maybe try the other one too because yeah. they're very different characters because calvin ellis is uh he's based on obama and muhammad ali and then val zod is he's a completely different type of character where he is a raised pacifist and avoided being a superhero for a period of time too so that's certainly not going to be obama or muhammad ali but you got a whole (laughs) different kind of interesting character there too so it's cool man and i think people are excited for it yeah yeah i think people are excited to see new things put to screen Mm-hmm. No new opportunities for for different characters to get the limelight, and and get the time in front of a, a wide audience. To be honest with you, and I think that's what we need. And give give them opportunity. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. At the end of the day, if it's not a good film, it's not a good film. But I, I'd have to hazard a guess that it's probably going to be something special when it does get put to screen. And I'm I'm really really looking forward to it. Oh, like I said, man, you got two talented guys that know that uh, they're going to have all the scrutiny. Yes, so <laughs> they will. They will put best foot forward, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I agree. So we got a, we got a few MCU properties to talk about here for for the next little bit in the podcast and to to wrap us up for this week. And the first place we're gonna take a pit stop is Spider Man. Spider Man three due out this December. It is meant to be the third film in the MCU trilogy of Spider Man, and I believe it will be a six. So it'll be six appearance coming to some potential conclusion. We don't know. We're going to speculate based off of this title, but we got a few random titles being tossed out again, playing on the fact that Tom Holland himself has an issue with spoiling things, things from the past where they don't give him full scripts. They don't give him the ability to do too much because he does have a tendency to be slightly loose lipped. And it's quite comedic actually to watch him. If you go back in the things that he's actually revealed and once we have the hindsight of it all, you're like, whoa, he told quite a bit there. So they play into that aspect of it. We had the cast throwing out some random titles. And then it was revealed in a little montage video that the title for the third iteration of the MCU Spider-Man here is going to be Spider-Man No Way Home. So playing to the idea of home being in the title with homecoming, far from home, and no way home. Do you think, Carlos, do you think this title has any real relevance to the plot? Is this going to be the multiverse Spider-Man movie that we've discussed in quite a bit of detail over the last couple of months? The rumored Maguire-Garfield crossover into the Spider-Verse live action and having some consequence for potentially Holland being yanked out of the MCU and dropped into a Sony-verse. Yeah, I think there is a meta-statement there whether it's to get fans anxious about the prospect of him being yanked out uh, or if that is indeed what's happening. But um, I do think that when all is said and done, there will be a Spider-Man in the Sony universe. And mm-hmm. maybe we establish that there's more than one with this movie or uh, maybe we lose Tom Holland for a bit. But I think with the work that they're doing with multiverses, here and seeding a bit of stuff with WandaVision and I think we'll see more with Doctor Strange you kind of establish that doorway for him to come back and Bob's your uncle kind of thing if you need him to yeah. so 
<laughs> yeah, I'll be curious to see where they take it. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. We're going to get into some of the concepts of the multiverse here when we talk about WandaVision and its more inherent relationship to magic now, it seems. And I think it's a nice little container to put the multiverse in. But but what do you have to do in, in this movie to bring it to a multiverse? Like, this is probably the biggest disconnect I have with the idea of a multiverse Spider-Man story. There's no way out title. Like, I like it. It's fine. It, it makes sense for what they're doing and i agree with you i think it alludes to a little bit more and i think it's meant to allude to a little bit more that we're going to see in the film but i am more curious as to how they execute such a large scale and conceptually difficult film without any real lead time they might do a little bit this week in wandavision to get the idea of magic being a more heavy influence into the idea of the multiverse but then you gotta you gotta string a lot of bridges between Doctor Strange and Spider Man because it's it's not it's not an easy tie. No, and Spider Man comes first. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like unless you kind of dump it all in and maybe you don't resolve it until Doctor Strange two. Like maybe that's the the plot of Doctor Strange two is that they're trying to rescue Spider Man. Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. I, I do find it odd that they're going here right away. But I, because you know how the sausage is made, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Marvel <laughs> doesn't have the autonomy with no. the property that they do their other characters kind of thing. And the Sony bit of it factors in. Um, Yeah, we'll see. There, There's a lot of ground to cover. And Huge. I don't know that if Sony was involved, if they'd be doing this even remotely. But uh, yeah, here we are. I'm it's, curious it's to see what they do. It's interesting you say that because... I think if Sony's not involved, this title doesn't exist. No, there's no multiverse stuff at all. Well, maybe with I Doctor think there's Strange. a little bit of it. Yeah. And like I said, we'll get into the where we think it's going to be contained to. But I think in the absence of Sony, this title's different, and the story that Spider-Man is doing is different. I think this oh. the only way that they likely are able to tell this story and get Spider-Man, I think, for one more movie, because I know that they had found or they, they've had found some common ground in some storytelling based on the fact that they were able to re-up the sharing of the IP. But I think the deal that Marvel had to make was some sort of of compromise with the story and how it bleeds into the Sony-verse without affecting more directly the MCU. Yeah, because the deal was for two movies, right? Like this solo. It could be this and and Doctor Strange, like you said. (laughs) Yeah, it's this and a crossover. I know is for sure what it entails, but... I don't know, or maybe it was just Feige wanting to protect the integrity of the brand because mm-hmm. Sony was making a Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland no matter what. So True, yeah. Maybe doing it this way, he has some control as to what the exit looks like and mm-hmm. what the bridges look like kind of thing, and he can go from there. Yeah, I- I'm excited for it. Me too. Uh, I'm not – I'm really excited for the prospect of Andrew Garfield coming back into play. Uh, despite being that guy, like, sorry, Vigilante boys, hopefully you still record with us at the end of the <laughs> week, but I do not like Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, but, um, yeah, hopefully, yeah, hopefully he's just a small part. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of story to tell there with Spider-Man and you don't want to get bogged down with transitioning the character out of the MCU and it becoming a major plot device inside of your movie. Like it's it's going to be hard to shift the character 
quite abruptly from a more personalized story about mm-hmm. the revelation of his identity to a multiverse movie in the span of two hours and 15 minutes or whatever that's going to be. Yeah, man. It's weird because like, if you look at far from home, really like the hero's journey was to be able to ask this girl out. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, now you're multiverse and you're going to have multiple versions of yourself. And Toby Maguire's crying Spidey is definitely not one to give relationship advice. And <laughs> Andrew Garfield was in a pretty bad place last we saw him. So yeah, he wasn't doing well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, we've got to in December. They put that line in the sand that it's coming out in theaters in December. So hopefully fingers crossed, we get all these movies this year, black widow, we might be getting it. Maybe a hybrid release. We know well, today they... you sent me an article that they've got a release date in China, the end of April. So do you think we're going to get Spider-Man? Do you think, actually, let's start with this. Do you think we're going to get Black Widow hybrid release based off oh, of yeah. Bob Chesapeake's, his his quotes from the past couple of days and what they're doing as far as any sort of response to the theater still being in a state of flux? Yeah, I, I think it's for sure coming out. Like if that... April 29th date is the Chinese release date, then that puts you right in line with their last firmish release date for Black mm. Widow, which was May 4th, right? So, yeah, I don't see any way that they don't release it. And it will probably be a hybrid release, depending. I, I think the theater situation would have to dramatically improve for them to just do theatrical only. So, yeah, it'll be, a, it, it'll be exactly like they did with all the Warner Brothers stuff. Yeah, they have to take that. Like, it it worked. Like, Wonder Woman didn't make a pile of money, but a lot of people saw that movie. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be interesting. And this one coming out in December, I think it has a better chance than any movie this year as actually hitting its release date. But it also depends on if it needs to rely on the cascading storytelling of the MCU and if Eternals and Shang-Chi come out this year. So I don't see a, a hard connection to either of those two movies. But we'll see if Spider-Man drops in this December. Yeah, like I know Sony drew a really hard line in the sand saying that they're not releasing anything over a certain budget, um, which Spider-Man would certainly be over mm-hmm. on any kind of streaming platform. So, yeah, yeah. we'll see what happens. It, it'll, I'm sure it'll be fine by then. Hopefully. Hopefully we're all vaccinated and (laughs) and all surviving. But uh, like you said, we'll see. We'll see where we get this. We're definitely going to have a trailer by mid-year on this one. I'd say by July. There's a really good chance that we have a trailer. Is it going to be a Shang-Chi comes out in July? So our big MCU lull goes between July after the release of Shang-Chi and I think Eternals, which is November-ish, if I'm not mistaken. Um, okay and so let's see loki let's see is what we, june uh... right yeah loki that's another big announcement that we had this week for the mcu is is loki's coming out this june so it's a little further on than we had anticipated i believe it was originally slated for for may but it basically is going to pick up right where falcon and the winter soldier leaves off and we end up with loki and that in between that is also black widow so a lot of mcu content coming here guys we're not going to have much of a breath in between properties but we're going to talk about the one that is on the direct horizon for us, and that is WandaVision. WandaVision Episode 8 dropped this week to great fanfare. It was an episode that really dove into the origins of Wanda herself and wrapped up a lot of the pieces of the puzzle that we've been 
spiritually putting together over the last eight weeks or so, trying to figure out what is going on in this show. We've been throwing theories, and they've been pretty much all wrong, as this episode <laughs> explains. So we're going to talk about episode eight, so big spoilers here, and we're also going to talk about what episode nine is going to look like, at least from our perspective, what we're seeing from the seeds that they have revealed all the way through, our seeds that they've planted all the way through this season and the big reveals from episode eight. But first things first, Carlos, let's talk about episode eight for WandaVision here. High level thoughts on this episode that for the first time in this season skews away from the sitcom style and we get almost, I think as the, the Vigilante Boys put, a Charles Dickens Christmas Carol sort of walkthrough of Wanda's life mm-hmm. um, in that style. So, so what are your thoughts on this episode? Oh, man. Like, I, I know I've been a bit of a Debbie Downer for episodes one through seven or one through six, but, man, did I ever love <laughs> this episode. I just adored the work that they did in the episode with the glimpses in at the various stops in Wanda's life, but to have the why of the sitcom aspect of this explained and where it came from for her, like for me, it doesn't sell me on like the entire show or like full episodes of that kind of stuff. But man, did it ever make me love and appreciate why they went that way? And why it existed. Like, it was so much better than a, the theories of a trap for Wanda. Mm-hmm. Or that this was what was being used to manipulate her to some kind of end game. That it was just her way of grieving and her way of coping. Amazing. And, and, and creating a world. One of the best lines in there was creating a world where there's no pain. Mm-hmm. And that's what she wanted. That's what she was trying to pull out of the sitcom. And bringing all that in and opening that suitcase. Like, that was such a moment. Yeah, no, it was it was amazing. Like I love that stuff, and like my parents have um, done some volunteer and uh, work with immigrant families and stuff through different charities, and that's a reality for those people. Mm-hmm. Like using TV and popular shows as a bit of a window into what the culture is and the language and everything else. So that struck so true for me, and it automatically sold me on why that was so important to Wanda. Like, because it's a real thing and it's not something that some writer made up. It's a a real world dynamic type of deal. So yeah, like they couldn't have done a better job with taking this show to the next level. Like that kind of stuff means way more to me than freaking Mr. Fantastic nonsense showing up. (laughs) He's not coming. uh, Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. this, this is the important stuff. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it makes the the whole show come together in a real way, like you said. And I just love I agree with you, man. It is, it's fantastic. Let, let, let's talk about the, the little retconning they do in here. At the start of this episode, we get Agatha Harkin's origin story, the Salem witch trials and all that. This, to me, puts a stamp on what they're doing in this show. I don't think there's any question now that this is anything beyond witch and magic, which I love, which the work that they do in here to build off of this with Wanda's origin, unreal. This to me, when you go back to her as a child during the flashbacks, putting the slight hex on the Stark bomb, 
it recontextualizes everything from Ultron. You do the work inside of the, the Scarlet Witch reveal and the Mind Stone actually showing that at the Hydra base was really cool and how it was something that was inside of her suppressed a little and something the Mind Stone itself recognized and really amplified. I think make, making Wanda a witch and tying all of this inherently, all of her powers to magic is a brilliant step for the MCU. Walking away from an X-Gene, walking away from the Mind Stone, just imbuing this power to her. I think like the whole Age of Miracles that they did, it was because they couldn't use the word mutant. But I think they benefit from it now that they've given this beautiful origin story and this concrete understanding as to what her power set is and where it really comes from. This this recon, we spoke about this offline, but you in the same space as me that doing this was the best decision for the character of Wanda and for the storytelling in the future. Oh, 100%. Kind of like I said, when we looked at the first episode and just where I sat on Wanda, like her powers as a form of mutancy, those are always the dumbest mutants. Like... <laughs> Because, like, for me, a genetic mutation is a genetic mutation. So it needs to be something that's naturally occurring that will then get supercharged, right? Mm -hmm. So Wolverine having a healing factor, yeah, people heal. And so a healing factor is not out of the realm of possibility. Or Charles Xavier having telepathic abilities. Well, we don't know how the mind works, but to think that the mind would be supercharged, that's plausible. But like hex and bad luck and good luck, like, <laughs> come on, get out of here. So to put all of that on the shelf and just say that it's a form of magic and chaos magic. And yeah, granted, like I'm a Witcher super fan and that's kind of what they do with the sorceresses in that book is the chaos magic thing. It was like Kevin Feige has been listening to the podcast <laughs> and he's like, this yes. prick, I need to get him on board. What do I need to do? He's, a, he's the so, only guy. We gotta get what? Gotta get him over here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So this is what we're going to do with this box of videos. And uh, this is how we're going to explain Wanda's powers. But uh, yeah, like how many times have they retconned and redone Wanda and Pietro's origin stories? This is by far like this is where the MCU has evolved past the comics. Like I've read all those books and this origin for her and her powers is by far the best one. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's better than the Inhumans, better than the Mutants, better than the genetic manipulation stuff. Like, it's the best one. And it's the one that is the most digestible as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, to me, it makes perfect sense what they did here. And you could maybe argue that, or there there could be some arguments out there that it's the X gene that has been amplified. But I think in the context of the story and the fact that this more inherently ties to the multiverse of madness, you know, straight from Kevin Feige himself. I think to me, it puts a cap on this being anything but witchery and, and magic and all that. And I think it's the right way to go. You can do much more with Wanda as the Scarlet Witch than you can as her having these, these powers that are unchecked, uncontrolled. At least you can put some boundaries around it now. You know, chaos magic. I'm not super familiar with the concept of it, but at least with Agatha and Doctor Strange, you can fit her into a universe now. You can fit her into her own corner of the MCU where the storytelling works around her. The problem you always have with Wanda in the comics is 
where do you scale her power set to? And you'd have this problem in the MCU. Like she arguably is the most powerful Avenger right now. Mm-hmm. And and what do you do with that person? What do you do with her story? And how do you fit that into the larger context and narrative of the MCU without just saying, or, or like you have to do with Professor X is you have to find some way to incapacitate them in every movie because their powers are just too hard to control. Mm-hmm. And you could see them going in and being like, okay, we're gonna put boundaries around you with the magic and all that. But it gives like a linear idea or concept to her power set, which I like. It's explainable. It's rooted in something. And it means that magic is important for the MCU going forward. It was yeah. with, even with stories like the multiverse of magic, Shang-Chi may touch on magic. I don't know, but like there's a little bit of that corner of the MCU that can really develop and be important. And I like it. Well, yeah. And why not build it up? Like they, they've got more mutants than they'll ever oh, be yeah. able to do justice to. So like, why not? The, the beauty of this model is that not everything has to be the same. So exactly. you've got super soldiers and you've got scientists and you've got gamma freaks and now you've got Asgardians and you've got uh, magic characters. Why not? Let's just let's just do it. And you're not going to have a ton of them. No. You'll have Doctor Strange and whoever he brings in. So why not give them a big popular well-known character in the Scarlet Witch? Yeah. It's real and I love the way that they frame out the Scarlet Witch as being this individual who's not supposed to exist that's from myth and legend, but here mm-hmm. she is in front of, of Agatha. And I like, too, the work they do with Agatha because I'm, I'm still not convinced, even after this episode, that she is a villain. It was interesting that partway through the episode, I'm like, okay, is she trying to help Wanda by taking her through this? Because I don't, I don't ever get the feeling until maybe the last scene that she's trying to steal things from Wanda or she's trying to use her. I find it's more of, I need to understand where this is coming from. You're not supposed to exist at this level. Like, how did you do this? And why are you doing this? And she walks her through her life to really root that out. And I thought that was a really cool mechanism instead of being like, let's just go into the past and just visit everything and kind of construct the plot that way. It was a more organic way to walk through the origin story of Wanda and solidify that power set. Like Agatha in this, she's almost almost a guide, right? And a, yeah. and I I'm not are you there that that she's a villain or is she something a little different? Cuz like the first scene plays into the idea that she's evil, she plays with dark magic and all that. But I don't get that until the very last scene again. Like the middle the whole episode I don't find her villainous. Yeah, I don't I don't know that she's nefarious but she wants she's chasing her own end right like she ends up wiping out her coven and her mother right at the beginning because she's chasing the ultimate in chaos magic or the mastery of it Mm -hmm. or just the understanding of it if she's chasing this knowledge at whatever the cost so i think that's why she's running into wanda and maybe running afoul of wanda but uh I, i do think that she is the villain, she might not want to do Wanda harm, mm-hmm. but based on what we saw with her origin, she might want to take that power for herself or control yeah. Wanda or maybe establish a new coven type of thing to replace the one that she wiped out. But yeah, it's a, it was a cool spot for and a unique motivation for a villain. Yeah. If that that's what she is. Yeah, I do like that. And this idea of the Scarlet Witch, I really like too. 
You know, I've said in the past that I feel like Wanda's going to walk into this show and exit as a Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. And to me, that got amplified even more in this episode that the Scarlet Witch is like the Jekyll Hyde for Wanda, right? It's like Wanda and the Scarlet Witch. Like, they're not exactly one in the same person. And the Scarlet Witch is that embracing of the chaos magic and maybe not to its full control. And I feel like there's real potential here. And I know we've been wanting this is that Wanda is almost the villain of her own story and becomes something a little different. Isn't the Avenger when this episode ends this week Mm -hmm. is more the Scarlet Witch. And could she be the villain for Multiverse of Madness? Is she going to be a big plot point for that? I kind of want her to edge a bit closer to not that chaotic Wanda that doesn't have a controlled power set that we see in some of the Bendis stuff, but to someone that's leaning a little bit more because there's real potential for her to go off and maybe embrace the Scarlet Witch if something happens to those kids in this episode. Yeah, like I I like her morality to be ambiguous. Like I like the idea of her being a force for good when she wants to be or maybe a force for evil at times. So that's that's kind of where I want her to end up too. Like, I think she's firmly a villain in this. Mm -hmm. Like she's taking a bunch of citizens hostage, (laughs) but uh, I, uh, I think we'll get a better, cooler, more versatile and certainly more interesting character Mm -hmm. on the flip side of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I fully agree with you there. I'm looking forward to see, how they resolve this or maybe not resolve it, at least give us something that leads into the next steps. Because I know there's a quote from Kevin Feige that the multiverse of madness is being constructed in a way that you don't necessarily need to see WandaVision to understand everything that's going on. There's definitely going to be uplift and benefit to it, but they're, they're, they were conscious in the writing that not everyone's going to see WandaVision. Mm. But we'll see how how important that becomes at the end of episode nine here. Now, one of the other wild things that was revealed was some of the sword business. You know, we've been a bit prickly on the idea of sword looking a bit more like agents of shield. And this is one of the times I think that they stick out as being a, a more cinematic version of, of a sword of a government organization, because we spent a bit more time outside of the Westview base and more in the sword headquarters that we're introduced to, when we got a bit of the backstory for Monica Rambeau. And the interesting revelation here was that the director had been lying about Wanda's actual intent with Vision. We see Wanda moving into S.W.O.R.D. and this really touching moment with her and Vision about not being able to feel him. And that's a nice callback to what we've seen in previous films. But then she walks away without Vision's corpse. Like, she leaves it there. That is a big twist that I wasn't expecting in this is that S.W.O.R.D. has been wanting to basically weaponize Vision, but they haven't been able to to power him up and they needed something from Wanda here. So we get, at the end of this, we get the White Vision. You know, I thought we got the White Vision at the end of Infinity War, at least the nod to it because he kind of goes all, all grayish on us. But mm-hmm. we get him in proper form as the mid credit stinger here. And I know you have some affinity for this character. So seeing this put to screen, man, like how do you feel about white vision? Yeah, man, it's cool. Like I, I have an aversion to white vision because we play the captain America and the Avengers arcade game all the time. 
and nobody wanted to get stuck with Vision or Hawkeye, right? So it was always like the race to get Captain America or Iron Man. <laughs> but then seeing him on screen, I realized how much I love him. It was like, oh, that's like the cool, spooky, unpredictable vision that we got in some of those comics. That's the vision that would always have like these catastrophic failures all yeah. the time. And man, I'm there for it. Like the just what a cool way to evolve it and to do something with vision off of the tragedy that befell him at the end of infinity mm -hmm. war. So yeah, man, it, that was cool. That was yeah. super cool. We get a bit of the origin of, of vision, the vision we've been seeing inside of the hex through the breakdown and the history of Wanda's story building into the start of this season with him being a manifestation of her, like a, an actual physical manifestation through the chaos magic. And you see that connection between the two of them that really builds into that. This line, you know, what is grief if love not persevering is really what I think gives her the power to create vision. And that, that line is, is it's a very well written line, but it's like that grief that built vision. And now we have this white vision are we going to see them combine? Are we going to see them come to blows in episode nine? Well, I think that was a alpha level troll by Paul Bettany. When oh he yeah. Said that he's going to face off against somebody that he's always wanted to act against and who he's really respected. And he's talking about himself. Like that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah, it's inevitable. You're going to see vision versus vision. And because the vision in the show is not the vision that we've known in the MCU movies because it was established like he doesn't have the memories mm -hmm. or any of the experiences of the conventional vision. And he's not going to be as uh, multifaceted personality wise as the vision who died. So I think that's going to be a great way to integrate and leave you with a new character. If after this battle Royale, the personality of the show's vision integrates with the newly formed body and mm -hmm. then we get a vision that we can do whatever with going forward like maybe he's just a character kicking around maybe he doesn't have wanda going yeah. forward after this so well i think that's where the interesting piece of wanda's story is going to be is does she get a vision by the end of this or is she going to have to face the fact that she's created this idealized vision inside of the hex she has to say goodbye to that vision again and get this other vision that doesn't maybe have the personality or the capacity to love or care or emit emotion in any, in any way. So I'm not convinced at this point that Wanda is going to have a happy ending here. I really don't think she is, you know, are the kids going to survive is the vision that she wants there. Is he going to survive? Like, it's going to be crazy to see, what they do and if they play more to the grief aspect of Wanda that magnifies the chaos magic and pushes her to the Scarlet Witch end. Yeah. Well, we'll certainly get a vision that can exist outside the hex. Yes, we will. Yeah. With that. So, and that white vision that... played, it played a role in the comic books as well for quite some time, mm -hmm. uh, West coast Avengers and all that. So it's going to be interesting to see if they stick with that, that character There's already Funko pop. You know, there's a Marvel Legend company. Yeah. So we'll see if they if they run with this vision for a movie or two and have a more conclusive story outside of 
of this. And and do you do you do a season two of WandaVision? No. I don't think so either. I'm right there no. with you. This is a one Definitely not. So to tie this back to our last conversation, and I'm not that guy. I'm not the freeze frame guy. I'm maybe it's why Zack Snyder's movies don't resonate with me. But when they showed that little teaser and or not teaser, but the title reveal for Spider Man No Way Home, there's hexagons next to certain titles and things on that whiteboard. And I was like, Oh, if we're getting all multiversey mm-hmm. with Spider Man and if we've got some hex going on on WandaVision, maybe maybe there's some little deep cuts Easter egg there. So Maybe I'm super smart or just saw something dumb that has no relevance whatsoever. I don't know. The the thing <laughs> with that that title reveal is I think there's way more. Like people are like saying, hey, it's Puerto Rico and all this yeah. stuff, which I thought was quite funny. But I, there's likely more in there than just the title. Mm-hmm. And this movie, Spider-Man 3, that being, has been related to this weird I don't even know if you want to call it multiverse, but maybe more magical type of trilogy this year with WandaVision or into next year, WandaVision, Spider-Man 3, and the Multiverse of Madness. Who knows? The thing I like about the concept of magic being more firmly integrated in the MCU through this and Doctor Strange is that the multiverse can have a container. It can Mm -hmm. reside inside of these magic movies, but it's not this omnipresent thing that exists throughout all of MCU storytelling. Like it just becomes too much for me for there always be a, a multiverse solution. And is this in the multiverse? Is this not? I, I personally, I don't want the Fox X-Men to be a part of the MCU. Like I, <laughs> I, I still don't want Pietro, fake Pietro to be a real thing. I just want him to be someone that Agatha, I think she says in this, like she calls him Pietro and she said, she had to use him to try to get to Wanda. Mm-hmm. So she was taking the experiences that she knew of. She called herself that she had to use the eyes and the ears of Fietro to try to dig deeper. And you, you go back to that episode and you can see that. He's asking questions like, how did you do this? And so I, I really don't want the multiverse to become something that is always kicking around. Like I want to go into Falcon Winter Soldier. I want to go into whatever and not have to think about, okay, you know, multiverse this. By by firmly ring fencing it with magic, there's control over it. And you can with a throwaway line like, hey, as the magicians or whatever we are, the sorcerers and sorcerer supreme, I, I'm basically capping off the multiverse. I'll use it when I want to. So they have a mechanism to use it if they need it, but it's not like it's accessible through anyone. Mm-hmm. And and oh, I, I think yeah. that makes for safer storytelling. Well, and like I said last week, like you use the multiverse when you're in a mess. Yeah. So I understand where the guys across the street are using it for sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Marvel doesn't need to be messing with multiverses right now. I'm a little surprised that they are, to be honest, at this juncture, at the height of their power. But um, Feige, we trust. Yes, we do. Inherently. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so so to wrap this episode up for this week, we're going to go into our live stream this Friday after we watch WandaVision's debut and final episode after we watch WandaVision's final episode. But but to close this one out, what do you think or what do you need to happen in episode nine to close this out with, I guess, the same grace that this last episode delivered? Need? I don't... Man, this last one really delivered for me in all facets. I, I think we need 
Westview to be shuttered. Like it needs to be released mm. from Wanda's influence and we take the characters just a step forward. So be it that she's the villain and off into the multiverse of madness stuff or her envision in the new body or creating a new life or whatever happens, but I need the Westview chapter of the story to be closed. Mm. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. And I think we're going to get there. The big question mark for me is, is what does Wanda look like at the end of this? I personally think they're going Scarlet Witch and she's going to be something different than we've seen. And that's going to allow us to evolve and watch her story change. And it's a way to take that character to the next level. Because I would argue now, with this past couple episodes, Wanda's got one of the best arcs and best origin stories in the MCU. And she hasn't had really, well, we've had all this time with her, but she hasn't had a film dedicated to her. And so her character is elevated from, you know, Avenger that's kind of there in Avengers films so now being like she could be a pillar of this universe yeah man well it's amazing like i've seen a lot of comments where people are like oh don't make any more marvel movies just make them all series it's had that much of an impact like this this series and we'll see with falcon the winter soldier and loki those are gonna it's hard i think it's gonna be hard to not love those series but Mm -hmm. like you said it's gonna be hard to veer away from this style of storytelling where we get eight weeks or six weeks of MCU content, 40 minutes a week, and it does a lot for characters that we know and love, but we haven't spent a lot of time with. And do the films become the true event? Like, do you, like can you move into a space where you're doing six series a year and you have an event film or two a year as well? I, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they, how they run with the storytelling because – this gives so much more room to explore. Oh, yeah, man. TV isn't what TV was five years no, ago. Not even like, close. <laughs> yeah, like Game of Thrones changed the game. Like, there hasn't been a fantasy movie on par with that show. No. So, you know, and we have a Superman and Lois that I've enjoyed way more than mm-hmm. <laughs> any Superman movie I've seen since Chris Reeves was flying around. So, there we go. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, guys, and I cannot wait to dive a little deeper into WandaVision Episode 9, the season finale, with the guys over at Vigilante 1939. So we're going to have a live stream. Hopefully, we're, we're changing things up, but hopefully it'll be on our YouTube page this time around. We're going to use a different platform to allow for more seats at the table. So hopefully we'll have the crew here and the boys over there to break down and talk and bring this whole WandaVision journey full circle we kicked it off with a live stream over on their channel, and they're doing us the uh, the favor of coming over and joining us here, giving us the privilege to podcast with those guys again and break down WandaVision in similar fashion that we did at the end of The Mandalorian, too. They joined us for that. We like doing these kickoff and these end live streams to really have that discussion in the moments at the drop and not waiting for the full episode or the full podcast release of the discussion. So, guys, look forward to that this Friday. Our YouTube page, look really towards the Neuram Instagram and Twitter feed. That's where all the information will be. That's where all the links will be. So make sure you pencil that in for this week. WandaVision, watch in the morning, watch it at lunch, step till 1 a.m., wake up at 5.30, whatever you got to do. Get that viewing in because there's going to be spoilers. You know, we're very, very cautious about that online, but there's a lot of people that aren't. 
So if you want this to be an experience viewing, get that viewing in on Friday and then join us on the live stream. Have your opinions out there in the comments. We'll talk about those. and We'll break down this series, what we all thought about it, and then what really we think is going to spin out of this as we move towards the Multiverse Mad is Spider-Man, No Way Home, and the other MCU shows that we're going to see. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're only a couple weeks away, guys. A couple weeks away from another Marvel series. June, we've got Loki. May, we've got Black Widow. And guys, we've also got a few other things in there. Superman and Lois. We've got that other thing that's coming on HBO Max. The Suicide Squad? The Suicide Squad. No, guys, I'm only kidding. we got the Justice League. Zack Snyder's Justice League. And we're going to have a little piece coming out for you guys next week. So should we announce it here? Yeah, if you want. If you want. Maybe we'll leave it for a surprise. We'll we'll tease. We'll tease here. Guys, there's something coming out on March 9th. It'll be in the feed. And maybe we'll we'll wait to announce that. I guess so. Are we going to talk to you guys before next? No. So might as well announce it here. That's what we're going to do. No tease. It's a commentary coming out from the Nerd Room. Myself, Carlos, and Sanjay spent three hours watching a film this past weekend and providing our first ever Nerd Room commentary. And Carlos... Because you're the spearhead of this, because you're the man that led that, would you like to reveal the movie that we provided three hours worth of commentary towards? Yes, dear listeners. And I suffered for you, too, because not only did I lead that conversation, I did so sitting on my weight bench <laughs> as I watched with my boys Sanjay and Tim doing a commentary track for Batman vs. Superman, Donna Justice, yes. Ultimate Edition. <laughs> so it will be there for you live and in the feed on the 9th i guess yeah, according Tuesday. to our producer yeah and uh yeah enjoy it you can we did it so that you can queue it up and watch along if you'd like to do that and kind of experience it real time with us or if you're just going to be driving around listening to it it's also pretty uh, pretty listener friendly i think in that regard too yeah. there's not a lot of downtime and give you a couple cues as to where we're at with the discussion. So if you're even remotely familiar with the movie, you can kind of listen to it podcast style as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's actually quite, I've listened to most of it. It's a good conversation and yeah. you know how we all lean on this topic on this movie, but there's actually a lot of really great discussion and dissecting of the movie as we go in that. So it's, it's a long listen. It's three hours. Like it's a whole movie, three hours and two minutes, I think. So it is there. It's likely a multiple sitting, but that's why we're dropping on the ninth. It gives you ten days, eight days, whatever it is, to to get into it prior to what is meant to be the sequel to that film in Zack Snyder's Justice League, the true sequel to Batman vs Superman. Yeah, and it's a good, very respectful, very pragmatic conversation, mm-hmm. and very sincere too. So uh, I'm pretty proud of it, actually. It yeah. is. It's a good listen, and it's. I don't know. I've listened to a litany of uh batman versus superman um assessments and i think this one stands apart so be worth your time yeah for sure so tune into that guys and also friday i gotta remind you one more time live stream at the vigilante 1939 guys wandavision season one wrap-up season finale discussion so we're breaking all that down in great amount of detail and have a lot of fun with the guys over there if you'd like to be a bigger part of the show you can always email us at the nerdroom at gmail.com you can find everything we do over the nerdroom.net the hunt is real and it's over on instagram you can find all of our hunt successes over there including carlos's pickups from this week super shredder will be up there before this episode drops as well so go over there and check that out and let us know what you guys are doing on the hunt too just tag us we the nerd on the hunt 
Let us know what you picked up this week because we're always intrigued and interested to see what people's collections look like and how they are growing. Uh, what else, man? I don't know if there's much else. This Friday, next Tuesday, we got a lot of content coming at you guys. We got some collabs in the future too that you guys are going to really like with some of our friends in various podcast worlds. So look out for some announcements there on some production collabs, some partnerships, everything. We've got all sorts of fun stuff going on here in the nerd room. But until all of that drops and until next, so this Friday, I should say, until this Friday for the nerd room, I'm Tim. And I'm Batman. And guys, stay safe, be well, be kind. And thank you very much for entering the nerd room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from The Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.